Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are discussing a paper titled Rain Tension in Harness Trotters During On-Track Exercise. Now, this is by Agneta Egenval, and there's a number of authors on this, so I won't name them all, but Paul McGreevy is also one, and that kind of caught my attention when Kate propose that we do this research on the podcast. So um, Paul uh, is a big equitation science professor, and he's also done a lot of research on equitation science and quite involved with the International Society for Equitation Science. So I was really um, excited to read this when I saw his name was listed. But basically, with horse racing, always being judged by the public. It's like there's always something happening, whether it's with equipment or horse welfare in some way that, um, you know, we end up losing that social license to operate. So we have to get on good footing again. So this uh, paper was measuring the amount of rain tension in these trotting horses' mouth at different exercise levels. Everything from the walk uh, to a fast trot, even kind of circling at a slow trot left and right, and then also what the rain tension was on slowing down. So um, the results weren't surprising to me. I think um, there's higher rain tension in these trotting horses than I've ever seen in riding horse research. But um, also with carriage driving, I have never seen these high of amounts. So for me, it was indicative that um, these a racehorses, so you want them to actually be going on the bit and with carriage driving, you want that too. You want the horse to be on the bit and you feel that. But um, I thought these amounts were somewhat high. And I think that's why these trotting horses always seem to have oral lesions and injuries because, um, you know, you're asking them to go at a, a high rate of speed. And yet you still have to keep control and they're dragging this sulkie behind them that really those sulkies don't weigh that much. So there's amount of danger to this sport as well. So you do have to maintain control of the horse. Um, yet there's got to be a way to lessen that um, rain tension um, is going forward and and that's probably through more research and uh, researching the equipment that is being used. So Kate, what were your feelings on this? I I find it really interesting. Like I agree and I think that's an area that we're we're going to end up talking about a lot in the paper how we need to try and improve research for this, but I wouldn't have 
any experience in um driving horses or carriage horses or using sulkies or anything like that so it's it's always the little things that stand out to me if it's an area that I don't have any knowledge in and in the introduction I think they explained it really well when they were talking about how in horse handling and training we use different cues to prompt the horse to do certain things for us and I love that they said these were formally referred to as aids so we would give the aid because I still would have called it that. But now I think the scientific term they're moving with is discriminative stimuli. But these stimuli can be auditory. So that's where we give our vocal cues. They can be visual. So that's the movement of the rope. Or, you know, when you move the uh, lunging whip, you're not actually touching them with it. You're just tapping it on the ground. And a lot of horses will speed up. Or it can be tactile, so that's where pressure is applied to their body. And when you're talking about these driving horses, it the actual rein tension like that is your main line of communication to the horse. You don't have leg aids because you're not on their back. When you're racing, you know, there's wind, you have vocal aids, but they're not as effective. In general, we don't use vocal aids a massive amount um, and I think there's a twofold to it like that's your line of communication to the horse but it's also maintaining the welfare of the horse in this sport because it's so dangerous and as you said Nancy those it's sulkies isn't it they're really lightweight in comparison certainly to driving carriages so accidents can happen and can be quite disastrous if one of those turns over and because of that, it's like we're kind of in this catch-22 because I know there's a lot of kind of buzz around moving away from using bits. And it works in certain aspects of um, horse riding. And it's something I would love to see if it was possible to do in other areas. But then when you look into kind of the ins and outs of how this works, at present, it's just not possible. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. Because we're in a position now where we need to try and develop new methods of gathering the data and then try and come up with new ways of using the equipment we have, improving the equipment we have, and changing our training techniques too. And it always blows my mind when we think about how often we're trying to improve. We're constantly like taking new research and improving things within the industry. And one that will stand out is nutrition because nutrition is always updating and it feels like a hundred people have different opinions on how to tackle it. That's why you should go to a proper nutritionist for your horse. But when it comes to saddles and bridles, like we're using the same designs more or less for the last however many years, like hundreds of years really, it's a propriety design that hasn't changed drastically I know there's been modifications and we've made saddles certainly more lightweight and more form fitted but we're still I just think we're still not there yet with the equipment we use with horses yeah and you know those sulkies I had an old sulkie that I used to train the pony to drive now I just walked behind it because when you get on that sulky, your weight makes a difference. If you lean forward, those poles 
um, end up putting pressure on the harness and weight goes down into those, um, you know, to the saddle area where you put those poles through. And then when you lean back, that puts less pressure on the surcingle as well. So um, that can also be your way to communicate with the horse. I didn't trust myself that I would have enough body control to keep it constant for a horse just learning how to drive. So I just let that selkie be used. They're aluminum. They're so light. One person can lift them and everything else. And I just wanted her to get used to touching those poles and to be in that type of situation. And then I didn't use it again. I, I got a proper cart for her. And but you know, that's part of the communication, too, that the paper really didn't talk about is the the art of balancing that those trotting carts and how leaning forward makes a difference and puts more weight leaning back lightens the load. That's why you see when they're driving for that finish line, they are leaning almost vertical to take the weight off that horse so it can fly to get to the finish line. And that is so difficult to do. So um, I was disappointed they didn't even bring that into account in the paper, that that can be a difference as well. And they're doing that all while they have rain tension and they have that horse running on the bit. So um, I don't know, for me, I just like being on the back of a horse better than being attached to a prey animal going at that speed, you know, with, and you're in a, a, a sulky. So uh, definitely they have a lot of talent. And in this paper, they use nine standard breads Four were mares, five were geldings, and then they used nine drivers, and or 11 drivers, sorry. And out of those 11 drivers, seven were students, and some of them had racing experience. So um, it's amazing. Over in Iceland, standard bred racing is more popular than thoroughbred racing. So um, this is an open access paper. Kate recommended it. And I would recommend everybody read it because the interesting thing is, is they did take into account motion symmetry on these horses. And how often do we not even think about that when we're dealing with rain tension and the equipment that we're using. So the rain tension was highest in these trotters, uh, far less in a ridden horse and in a horse being long-lined are driven from the ground. So um, it, it's a good, interesting read, and it makes us re realize, you know, some of the data was lost in this. So you think we could come up with a better way to measure rain tension, to our bit pressure, I should say, than um, always hanging these um, sensors from the reins. And I would think, gosh, I wish we had like bit pressure gauges that could be like microchips in the bit and 
be communicating with our smartphones or things like that. I hope that's in the works because that's the only way I think you can really measure true bit pressure and in what areas of the mouth are we will really putting the most pressure on? You know, just as you were saying that, Nancy, I was thinking, I, I mean, I wouldn't be able to design it, but wouldn't it be amazing if there was a bit pressure and sensor that was created? Because like you mentioned, the sensors we're using at the moment sit between the rings of the bit and the rain. Yeah. And they weigh 68 grams themselves. So that's adding a weight every time. Now, I know that's very minimal in the scheme of a 500 kilo horse, but it <laughs> is still adding a little bit extra weight to that um, rain, which will have somewhat of a minuscule effect, I'm sure. But if we could create those sensors, those bitted sensors, imagine like we get to a point where you're, you have a smartwatch on, and when you apply too much pressure on the reins, your watch buzzes. And yeah. that's what tells you to lay off on the reins. Like we talked about having like visual cues in the past and having like light systems, I think there was in one of the studies we were doing, but having something that literally is like, okay, no, that's my cue. Because in this of the 11 drivers, one, had considerably light rain tension. So they really stood out because their rain tension was significantly less. And then one driver stood out as having significantly high rain tension. But I, they didn't actually delve into the um, individual drivers. Like it would have been nice to kind of see, is it like, you know, having a table of driver one to driver 11, having the breakdown of which horse they were riding and seeing where those increases happen. Now the drivers rode in the same position for each one. So they ran three horses at a time, every time. And the horses could change positions. So there would be a leading horse and there would be two horses that weren't leading, but the drivers stayed in the same throughout the test. So if you were the leading driver, you were always the leading driver to try and keep things the same. It would have been nice too, to see if they could have put those and um, like those sensor suits on the driver. So the, the 3D motion sensor suits to see what their positioning was. Um, even to get some sensors in their hands to see what pressure they're putting their hands under too. I don't know if that would really, I'm trying to think as I go along, but now I'm thinking, I don't know if that would really tell you any more than having that rain tension pressure. But what I did think was really interesting was one of the drivers has competed in over 10,000 races. I know. That's a was... huge amount of experience. Yep. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is as rain tension increased, so it increased according to heart rate. So as heart rates went up, which I took it to mean horses were putting more exertion out, they were running faster, then the rain tension increased. And that told me those horses take the bit and run just like a thoroughbred does. And um, I guess to feel a certain amount of control, the riders take a little bit more um, mm -hmm. control as well, because, you know, when the 
pony is pulling my cart. I just have a two wheel cart. Um, my signal for her to go a little faster is like a little cluck to pick it up. But then I also kind of lean my hands forward so I don't have any contact. And then she searches for the bit and she speeds up. So that's my communication with her using my reins uh, to get her to go a little faster. I don't really ever carry a whip and I don't ever slap her with the reins because they say you really shouldn't do that. That's only in movies and in Westerns and all that. But it's amazing how just that little slack in the reins, that little give um, speeds her up to, to find where that bit is again. Now she's not going at a high rate of speed, but um, you know, I think that's the communication that they were talking about um, via the bit with these driving horses, but the carriage horses, the paper they referenced in here, um, the Newtons were not that high as it, it is in these trotting horses. Yeah, so the Newtons are that pressure that supplies on the bit. And it does, I mean, it does have a significance, you know, why we're even discussing this, because that pressure on the bit has a knock-on effect where we then end up seeing mouth lesions in horses. And it was a really high percentage, actually, that yep. they said, I think, was it 84% of competing yep. horses? Uh, I think that's that was it, Kate. And then also they were comparing it to the event horses, which we studied that paper. I think it was two seasons yeah. ago. And we had, I remember that it was 52% of those event horses had some form of, um, you know, mouth lesion or calcification that had built up over time and I think uh, even in this it ended up being like I think it was 84 percent I'll look for that while you're talking and, and make sure yeah and I think it was I think you're right it was 52 percent in the venting horses and 84 in the driven horses yeah so a much higher percentage suffering but what they did as well to do this is something that you can do at home, which is always a nice takeaway from a paper. To examine for these oral lesions, you just pull back the lip and look in the mouth of the horse. None of the horses were gagged. Um, none of them were sedated. You know, it was a very simple visualization and then just rubbing your thumb on the inside of the mouth as well and feeling for those lesions. So it's something that everybody can do at home in your riding ponies as well, because you don't know when you're putting too much rain tension until, you know, you realize you actually see an outcome from it. And that's what alerts you to the fact you're putting too much rain tension. You'll have horses as well resist and you get behavioral problems linked with it and you get head tossing and things like that. But I think people who are newer to, um, Horses and horse behavior can sometimes miss those more subtleties like head tossing is really easily missed in the summer because people think the horses are just getting annoyed with flies and that's why they're tossing their heads. So that was a good one, I think, as a takeaway. And then the hind limb asymmetry, I just thought was really fascinating. So 
in any of the horses that weren't symmetrical in their hind limbs, they had an increased rein tension um, because essentially they would be leaning more to one side or the other because their symmetry in their gait was off. Yeah, that was fascinating to me because um, how often, if you have a horse with a hind end lameness or uh, even a front limb uh, lameness, um, you know, they'll lean towards the good side when you're leading them even with a lead rope. And I thought that's that would be uh, indicative that I think you might want to have a physio or a body worker. Um, assess the horses and interestingly enough before they even did this testing they um, you know did um, hand trotting of the horses and they assessed their symmetry before they began the test so the asymmetry didn't pop up until they were on the racetrack yeah you know so really fascinating yeah and I thought too that um, the left right asymmetry seemed to affect the horses you know I'm and I mean by that the way they were going on the track because they took them to the right and then to the left and that seemed to have an effect on their symmetry but the drivers whether they were right or left-handed really did not affect the rein tension I always thought I'm you know now for me I think I'm more heavy handed on my left um, hand, even though I'm right handed. And I think that's from always going to the left on the racetrack. You, t you learn when a horse gets a little out in front of you to pull their head slightly towards that inside rail. And that tends to slow them a little bit. And then you go ahead and, and let them um, straighten out again. And that's your way to keep control. I rarely pull with my right hand. So I thought that kind of correlates that what handedness you are really doesn't apply to your riding. It's what uh, you get used to. It's, it's your riding posture day after day after day and that muscle memory. Yeah. And I think you made the point there, Nancy, that um, the riser, the driver didn't have as much of an influence. That was an interesting thing that came out of the article as well as they said that in general, it's the horse actually seems to influence the rein tension more so than the rider or driver. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, and the other thing that really got to me is the heart rate. You know, um, usually you would think by the time uh, they level out and they're going for the finish line and the driver is leaned back to lighten the load, that you would have less rain tension, but they had more. And I, I still have to think about that because I, I think it has a lot to do with the horse um, wanting to go on the bit and the driver wanting to, to have control. But I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that. Uh, give us a, an email or a, a comment because I just think it's more the uh, taking the bit and running and the driver needing to control, but I don't know, I may be wrong about that. Yeah, I think 
any thoughts or suggestions, absolutely welcome on this paper. It is open access, so you can have a read, as Nancy said. Um, and overall, it's just a really nice insight, I think, into more that we can do with rain tension. And there was some really good results that came out of this. Um, something to really look into as well, I think, because having Heinzlim asymmetry is something that you can equally miss in horses and putting a little bit of tape on both hinds limbs just on the points of their hips and having someone walk them away from you can be a really good indicator for seeing that drop if they're dropping one hip more than the other and looking for that symmetry so it can be your first kind of visual test you do yourself before you end up reaching out and and um, having a vet do an assessment if you're concerned about that yeah, and I did find about that uh, cross-country paper, Kate, it doesn't give the amounts, but it says that the difference in frequency of oral lesions is particularly striking for severe lesions, which were present in 20% of trotters, but only 4% of event horses. Um, they do use the paper um that we uh, kind of reviewed on, on the podcast a couple seasons ago, and it said uh, high rain tension may be associated with oral injuries in the area of the bit, and such lesions are indeed frequent in trotters after racing. And so uh, then they mentioned it, they're also present in event horses examined after a cross-country test and that's the paper we reviewed and so we know they exist we know you're able to uh, create lesions um, and most of these trotters had a single jointed bit in their mouth uh, that's considered a driving bit I'll real quick just talk about this I was uh, talking to Kate Finner and telling her you know about one of the thoroughbreds I have that had a retinoid tieback surgery. So his epiglottis um, does not close because what they did was lasered the flap so it would not blow like a flag into mm -hmm. his pipe. So I mentioned, you know, I just think the bit, the especially the snaffle bit creates spasms in that scar tissue area. Well, she sent me to research the winning tongue plate bit. Now this bit is made in New Zealand. So I found it in this country where they were selling it and I ordered one. And on the um, information you get with this bit, it says reduces bit pressure by 85%. So I emailed the maker of the bit and I asked him, how do you know it reduces that much pressure? Because I thought maybe he knows of new technology for these bits that you can assess that. He said, no, it was by rain tension studies. So, but anyway, I put the bit in this uh, thoroughbred's mouth and not one cough, not one gag, you know, nothing. It just really has very low pressure. It's curved, so it fits their mouth. It has a, oh, like almost like a set link 
in the middle of it that lays on the tongue very lightly, but there's no nutcracker action. So uh, anyway, uh, check out the WTP bit. Um, I had never heard of them before. I was happy Kate told me about them. And tell you, they're about $150 cheaper in the United States than they are uh, in the other parts of the world. So I was, uh, you know, I didn't want to pay $200 for a bit. So uh, happy as can be that it was, you know, uh, less than half that, you know, I mean, it was less than $100 for that bit. And I was willing to take a chance on it. And they also have a driving bit. That's pretty much the same. So I took the bit and put it on the driving pony and she is far happier with you know still a little bit of contact but not near the contact that I normally would have so uh, I think I found a bit that I really like and um, you know I never heard of it before so that's the way things mainly work you know <laughs> so it looks really interesting. I just Googled it while you were talking about it there. Um, and I just noticed that you can get it. It's about 100 euro online. But the first one that popped up, and no, this is not us promoting <laughs> anything, but Old Mill Saddlery have a 14-day trial on it, which is interesting. Well, and you know what I like about it? Now, I didn't get the actual tongue plate. I got the one with like the little nodule in the center and it's curved. And I did get the egg, but I didn't get the, um, you know, half cheek that you would get for driving. Or you could use a half cheek for a younger horse that doesn't quite have steering yet. But uh, I tell you what, I have never heard of that before. And I, I'm taking it off. I've got to get a few more because I keep taking it off one bridle, putting it on another to try it on another horse. And uh, it, it really is a less pressure and they do, they do go a lot easier. Now, I've never been in an event and doing cross country with this bit. So uh, I've only used it on the farm and in the arena and, um, you know, driving in the fields with the cart. But uh, they do seem a lot happier. And the main thing is that this thoroughbred with the, the surgery, the surgery that he had, he's not coughing and he's not seeming like uh, something's bothering him. So it must sit perfectly in their mouth without any of that pressure and that nutcracker action yeah it's really fascinating there seems to be some good reviews online for it as well yeah I was I had you know I'm so happy Kate suggested it because um you know uh, he's he's a heck of a trail horse it's just I think there is some innervation somewhere that the bit was putting um was aggravating him and it was activating scar tissue and not mm -hmm. a lot of coughing but you know it only happened when you have a bit in his mouth so i'm really really happy that now um you know we don't have to deal with that and maybe others uh, if you have a horse that had wind issues or tie back surgery 
um, you know, have a look at that. And um, it, it really is a great design and 85% less pressure according to the rain tension. Um, and a lot of those rain tension meters, I know I question whether they're accurate or not, but I kind of go on the behavior of my horse and how they're responding to it. So, so far, so good. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I think it would be interesting for us to look into um, some of the research around some of these newer bits that they're coming out with. Yeah, I, and I was surprised I'd never heard of it. It's kind of a racing bit, but I yeah. don't hit top um you know top popularity in this country yet we're so apt to go with our ring bits and we're snaffle bits and and all that that um i think it will catch on eventually i hope so because i've really seen a difference i think we are such creatures of habit and you know that's what we talk about a lot where we're trying to change our ways from what was always done to what you know evidence base is telling us is better well, and when I saw 85% less pressure, sometimes this horse can bolt because I think he feels strangled at times. And so, you know, is that what I really needed is less pressure? <laughs> I wanted, yeah. to, you know, but I have to say he's very relaxed now. And, and I think we've gotten beyond that, I hope. So, um, but anyway, that's all I really had, Kate, um, on this paper. And I want to thank you for recommending it. Not at all. And if anyone has any recommendations, then you can get in touch with us and we will be back again next week. Okay. Thanks so much, Kate. It was fun. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.